tonight on Ship Chasing. Mike Leone joins us to talk about best ball deep dive. He's been deep in the spreadsheets looking at BBM3 data, finding, cooking up ways that we can win BBM4 all tonight on Ship Chasing. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> This is why I'm hot. Anita Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. <laughs> Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Canary's Tony? You can't handle the heat. He looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. <laughs> Pat, I absolutely hate this bit. I start the show without our guest even here yet. Our guest says, hey, one sec. I'm running a few minutes late. Because of these comments, have these guys ever been on time? I literally started the show at fucking 9.15 p.m. Eastern on the dot. Uh, I hate this bit. I'm eating chips. I mean, I, I you know, I I'm, I don't like it either. I was uh, thinking Leone would be here and just the two of us. I'm trying to, you know what? I, I was trying to I, pack I, in a, a little last minute snack. I would say it's very disrespectful to be eating on these airwaves, but I ate half a Caesar salad on the Swolecast earlier today, so I guess I can throw, <laughs> oh, throw no, stones. Oh, Swolecast? Oh, there's a Swolecast for me to listen to. What a what a delight. I didn't know. Uh, it's actually a very fun one. Dan Bach uh, was subbing in for Tuttle, uh, who was preoccupied. I had no idea. Apparently, Dan Bach went viral, like mega viral, over the weekend with a golf tweet, and then it got really? so viral, he had to delete the tweet. So yeah, if you want to hear about that, you can check out the Swolecast today. I will. I will be checking yeah. out the Swolecast is as soon as this show is over <laughs> yeah uh pete's uh or graham says what's leone's punishment um you know no punishment i mean he's gonna it's hard enough getting these guy on these shows you know he's uh all he wants to do is just be deep in his spreadsheets he doesn't even want to talk to uh, other humans so no punishment for leone um my haircut makes me look 10 years older really all right i guess i'll take it uh fake young real old uh all right um pat how are you doing tonight other than doing uh, good, doing chip. good. Yeah, it's 80 degrees in New York. Yeah, it's 80 degrees. It is April. It is April. Uh, it's look, uh, while it's not necessarily reflective of a of a great situation, uh, long term for the for the earth, it, it's a yeah. it's a it's a nice day in April. That's that's and we're and we're taking it in New York. I've made many jokes along those lines this year because I, I bought a new snowblower because you know we moved to a house and I needed a snowblower. I was getting ready for the new England winter, bought it in like October, never used it. Didn't pull uh, my snowblower once. And I've made lots of, uh, you know, global warming jokes about that, that uh, I don't think my uh, father-in-law appreciates, but it is what it is. Leone has made it here tonight. You are wearing your ship chasing shirt. Is it, is that like wearing your, the band shirt when you go to the concert? Is that mm. allowed? I don't know, but I, I was told. I've, done, I've done it many times. Vertical. Okay. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I will say, Leone, the it is crazy that the very number one association that people now have with you in this show is running while on the show. The amount of comments in the chat right now on Twitter of people just expecting you to be on your phone broadcasting while training is is incredible. I'm disappointed actually, that's not why you were late. Is that what you were doing? Did, yeah, I did have to run tonight. All right. And all right. Um I was going to, I was like, I saw some comments when you guys tweeted it out about me running and I was going to be like, I shouldn't actually run for this show. Right. I was going to ask you guys. And I was like, no, that's, we're not, we're not doing that. I'm not even. It's one of those things where well, if you asked like, us, yeah. we would have told you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I think it has to be organic. That night, it was perfect because we really wanted to draft. You really needed to go on a run, and you're like, fine. The only way that I can still stay on here is if I actually uh, multitask and run. Um, yeah, Leone, you just asked, are you lagging? I think Pat's lagging because Pat is No, I'm lagging. lagging, yeah. I'm lagging. Yeah. Get your shit together. But it catches dude. up for some reason. Uh, no, it didn't that time. Okay. Pat, Pat, leave and come back. This is, this won't be sustainable for an hour. No, so. no, it's good now. I, I'm My mouth is just a touch behind what I'm saying. I mean, it's okay for me visually. I just felt like uh, I started talking a couple of times. And I, I don't know if you guys yeah. can hear. Um, Michael wants to get in the weeds on running. He wants to know, how is your training for Toronto going and what training program are you following? It's going pretty well. I feel like really beat up and tired at this point in the training though. Um, I was doing really good. Like the first half of the training, like hitting all my runs. And now at this point, I'm like, got like a hamstring strain. I've got like a mm. hip flexor thing. I, I just feel old and beat up. And like, I was supposed to do six miles tonight and I like ran three extremely slow miles and just called that, called that a W. But, uh, I have, I'm part of a run club here and the woman that runs at Molina is awesome. And she, she's actually the one who's captaining our Ragnar team. So she has a run plan for me. My last huge long run of the training session is, is this Saturday. It's a 20 mile run at, if you're familiar with Western New York at all, it's a chest 20 mile it's run. Like, yeah, I did a 20 miler a couple weeks ago, but this one's going to be very hilly. So I'm like, it's going to be pure torture. Yeah, 20 sounds that what you, sounds like a lot. That's a, you're that, out there for a long time. 20 is the whole thing. What that's a training run? Yeah. Well, I mean a marathon's 26 points. You gotta Pat. get to 26, Pat. I, I understand that, but I honestly, if I was training for a marathon, I'd do like 15 max. I've never well, Pat, you would not complete a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I never will complete a marathon. That's fair enough. But I can't imagine doing 20. That's like basically a fucking marathon. You're doing three quarters just to train. Well, but I mean, I'm doing it slower pace than I'll do the marathon oh, and, okay. you know, water stuff. Sorry, sorry for yelling. Taking some goose. I didn't mean to get you all excited. <laughs> well, it's 20, I know it's 70 miles. degrees, but like. It's not 70. It's 80, Leone. It's 80. <laughs> Is no, April? I, it's April twelfth. So your lag isn't. Yeah, bad. you're lagging bad. You're uh, lagging. Pat, log off. off. Pat, go reboot. This is unacceptable. I do feel like Peter's so good at dealing with your lag that that's why I thought I was lagged because you're just like used to it. Um, do gol uh, golfing this Friday though. I can't wait. Like actual outside golf. Man, I haven't golfed in. Uh, I only got to go like a couple <laughs> times last summer. Did you play we that moving. shit course in Colorado? Oh my god, dude! That was probably the last time I played. Honestly, that was honestly the last time I played because that was like mid July, and then I moved and I haven't played since. Um, yeah, that was a that was a. Nice, but you played you played down in Florida recently, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So I'm acting like this is the first time outside, but I just played down in Florida a few weeks ago. But it's for it's different. It's first oh. time outside in Buffalo. You, that that was uh that was where the Hertzig photo was uh um, where you did you know when that was getting posted that that was going to go poorly for you oh yeah I, I posted it initially and i i knew i was like oh god this photo looks terrible i was like whatever <laughs> i'm just gonna post it like, i i totally knew, yeah i knew it was gonna go i my, my self-awareness might not be great but like there you can't really look at that photo and be like oh my goodness we look great <laughs> 
Well, it's like I've I've met you in person. I've seen you. And I was like, this is such a like an unflattering angle and everything for you. I was just like, this is. Such, I still I just pulled it up and and Mike. I still think I thought this was a Photoshop version, but this is the real version. I was like, that's, that's the actual photo. I don't know why. I don't know what it is that makes it so funny. I'm like, this doesn't even look like you. It well, you're not that short. Like like, right. like I mean, the I'm difference five, between eight. you and Herzig isn't that short. Isn't that how, how did he's I met Herzig? He's not that much taller than you. I think he's like six foot. <laughs> yeah, but it's what are everything. you five three? I'm five eight. <laughs> yeah, but then you look five three. Yeah, no, I know it, it. It looks absurd. I'm also wearing my very loud outfit and like it looks. It looks like my body, my torso, as people noted, is like super elongated. You're melting. You're melting a little. What's funny is my brother-in-law, who like takes great pride and stuff, like taking a good photo, took this photo. He blames Justin because he said just before this, Justin took a photo of me and my brother-in-law, and he said it looked so bad that he like overcompensated for the angle. He's like, oh, it was in my head. There's something with your facial expression too. That's just, <laughs> just... yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on the socks there's a lot well you're, you're you yeah. have you have like a <laughs> smile that i can only describe as woodland <laughs> you do have very elfish features it looks like it looks like there's something wrong with half my face it does look yeah your ears great. your ears look particularly perky <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 Okay, but not, uh, I do have big ears. They, they like I, no, it's not bigness. <laughs> it's a, they're just look a little pointier than usual. Uh, I do. Nez actually brings up a key thing. Why does there <laughs> need to be so much space below the feet? This is a composition thing. Oh, always align yeah. the foot with the bottom of the frame. I do think that's a big part of this. I mean, we're getting to see a ton of Florida concrete here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Leo, yeah, so you... much concrete. Yeah, why? Uh, it, who took this photo? Because it is—it's one of the worst. It's one of the worst photos. I, I mean, unless unless you're into comedic photography, in which case it is a masterpiece. Uh, I'm gonna send my brother-in-law the the first ten minutes of this show so watch <laughs> and think about what he's done. Yeah, there's like rule of thirds, but that's normal for like vertically how you want to position it. He did yeah. like rule of thirds, or sorry, in the vertical direction where he's like one third sky, <laughs> yeah, one third subjects, one third <laughs> wow, this is so bad. JGFC, I gotta be honest, this photograph changed my image of Leone. <laughs> Leone, it's, I think it is, need... it's confusing for me because I've met Herzig and I've met you, and like that it does like you are you are closer than that. Like I'm, I'm like I feel like I have an objective comparison of you two, and it's not as far as that photograph makes me uh, see. I have more empathy for Davis now because I feel like <laughs> <laughs> this is like the like Peter's Peter and Davis. They had a, yeah. a pretty iconic photo. Yeah, the Laird, the when you guys met Laird. Well, I assume everyone has seen the uh, the Lou Dog uh, Photoshop of that one with. So I keep good. saying Davis, but it's actually me on it. Um, here we go. <laughs> Let me. Is it? Uh, I thought it was Davis on it. <laughs> that's me as Davis. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows oh, that you as Davis. I thought yes, it was dude. Davis. Yes. I didn't. I just thought it was Davis. 
<laughs> oh, that makes it so much better that you didn't know what that Photoshop was. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was <laughs> You actually thought that? I didn't look super closely because when it, like, I just saw it in my, like, I didn't click on it. I just saw it in my yeah. feet and I was like, yeah, I, I do look like Davis. <laughs> <laughs> It is, it is, Pat, didn't you post a screenshot? Was it in your Discord where you were saying that when you search Davis, the number yes. one Google image result is now yes. me? <laughs> yes, because people, because I asked in my Discord, I was like, what, you know, what emojis should we have? And so I was like, we need one of Davis. So I was it like, Goog I was Googling Davis and the number one search is now your face. Well, if I you Google do Davis Matic, the number one result is you. Oh, Lou, Lou makes an appearance on there, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to make a golf unreal. Davis. Yeah, you should. Did you hear another uh, piece from the Swolecast today? Davis told us that he got last place in one of his hometown fantasy leagues, and his punishment is he has to run the 40. So I'm, wow. I'm very excited for that. I don't know if that's going to be Is he training for it? Is he going to try to put in a good performance? Wow. I mean, all this guy does so. is squat and deadlift. I don't think he's training any sprints right now. <laughs> he oh, does man, the Stairmaster at like level one. If I, did, like if I had to run a 40, I would. <laughs> um, all right, Michael. Enough of the bullshit. Let's get down to the brass tacks. How do I win Best Ball Mania 4, <laughs> damn it? <laughs> Well, you just repeat exactly all these things that happened a year ago, and you make no adjustments because they worked the past last year. Perfectly so, predicts the future, so they're gonna they're gonna work again. So, um, all jokes aside, you are you are fresh off of uh, two parts of your Best Ball Mania manifesto: a guide to winning big on underdog fantasy. Uh, obviously, super uh, great article up on ETR if you guys haven't checked it out. And it is, I'll continue to confirm this: it is all free, not behind the paywall, right, Mike? Correct. Yeah, uh, I have the link down in the show notes. If for some re reason you guys haven't checked it out, and how many more installments do we have coming? So there's two, but I keep coming up with more ideas of things I want to do. So I think at some point I might have some follow up stuff. But this Friday will be like roster construction, positional allocation stuff, which I'm doing a little bit differently than I did in the past. I used to look at like early picks and just I kind of bucketed all early picks as a top five pick and then total number at a position. This time I looked at like draft capital spent at the position. So it could have been spent in a variety of ways and kind of bucketed it that way. Not necessarily. This is like the missing link of, of all this analysis, in my opinion. I'm super excited for this. I'm literally like looking forward to this part of your article. Like, you know, the, I'm, I'm in line. I'm in line for the for the newest uh, release of a Marvel movie or an iPhone or whatever the fuck. You're going to be pretty happy with how poorly uh it it makes running backs look from last oh, year. oh oh am i <laughs> you will you'll be quite satisfied as yeah. you spend less draft capital at running back your everything goes up that's so. shocking to me but but mike don't they score so many points uh i don't know you're the one who took too early and won two million dollars oh, but then so. when did i take my next one not not that that's the it's I'm I'm working on I actually just wrapped up my video uh that's gonna be coming out soon. I got it all over to the editor. And one of the things Michael Dubner had pointed out to me when we were researching it too is what you're saying, Mike, in that the advance rates for like double anchor RB were awful last awful year. That just somehow threaded the needle with the with the two perfect ones there. But yeah, on the whole, it was disastrous. 
Yeah, they were much better the previous two years. The roster construction stuff in particular is like kind of bad to look at one year because it can be so affected. But I mean, there's a few th reasons why it happened that way, but they're why you would do zero RB. Like teams that spent last draft capital at running back were more likely because I did in part two, I looked at like the importance of ADP closing line value. And what part three shows, because I wanted to dig in a little bit why spending less at running back did good. And part of it was you're just more, you just got more opportunities to get really good closing line value on ADP. And of course that extends in season two, which we're not even accounting for. Wait, 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 because, because running backs tend to be some of the bigger values. Is that why? Yeah. Like you had Ramondre, Damian Pierce, or if like, like a back gets hurt, you just see them leapfrog rounds, I think to a higher degree than you do other positions. Um, not to say that it doesn't happen at other positions, just have, and I mean, that's the whole thesis of running back though, right? Because it's a volume game. It's like a role game that if the role switches, the value immediately switches, right? And we see some of that, you know, with younger rookie backs, like Damian Pierce, who just emerge over the course of the off season, or there's an injury to somebody and somebody else. Can we, you know, can we back there. up a little bit? just to give people a sense of the first two parts in case they're not super familiar. So the first part, yeah. you talked about stacking and how important that was. And the second part, you talk about kind of having ADP value and how important that is. And actually a number of different factors, including making sure you have a lot of live players in your lineup, which I guess <clears throat> there's not a ton of ways to make sure that you have that because a lot of it's injury related. You also talk about when to draft, um, whether to do slow or fast drafts. So this article's covered like a number of pretty key, elements um yeah but to get better closing stacking, line value it sounds like uh yeah so the the running back stuff you know we can circle back on but yeah you're more likely to get closing line value also like people are just over investing in running back like even if you assume running back and wide receiver were equal people are over investing in running back and then like like just to begin with but like they're also not equal but even if they were equal people are building too like I looked at like the break even point just by like the number of starting roster spots. Like if you use that ratio as your draft capital ratio, so like 3.4 starting wide receiver spots versus 2.4 starting running back spots, assuming they're like equally used in flex, like that ratio is like 1.4 to one. So I looked at the draft capital spent, like if you just split it down the middle teams that had like a smaller ratio than 1.4 to one and teams that had a bigger, um, People are like the the ratio is leans running back heavy, but when you say draft capital, you don't mean roster spots. You mean the like almost like an auction auction dollar value that you're spending on the positions, right? Yeah, there is somewhere. I know this is a really long article. There's somewhere <laughs> in there where there's a good graph of the draft capital, but basically, I looked at points above replacement player um, that were contributed to your roster for each team in BBM. And came up with a model and then just kind of scaled the model so that zero was the lowest and that's how i came up with these values so the so the, as you would expect picks early are worth more than picks late you know it's not a pure linear thing um, right. but yeah start out with stacking i mean kind of kind of jumped the gun here a little bit but start out just wanted to look at the importance of basically what I was trying to do was to incorporate analysis that I've done in the past, which is like these regular season advance rates with like actually looking at, we know the playoff weeks are the most leveraged weeks. These are the most important weeks. 
So like, how can we kind of combine those two things to get a better idea of what was a good strategy and why things worked the previous season? And if we have a really good understanding of what worked, why it worked between regular season advance rates, playoff win rates and all that, you know, we'll be able to learn from it and then hopefully come up with better strategies for BBM four. It's not that you want to replicate this stuff exactly, but it's really good to understand like why things worked. Yeah. And I know we're now jumping back and around, but it does track too about like the running backs jumping up in value because we, we do see wide receivers jump up, but it's almost always injury related, right? Like someone gets injured and then what was it? Tim Patrick a couple of years ago bumped up like four or five rounds or something, but the running backs have the chance to move up simply by training camp buzz um, depth chart shuffling like Ramondre taking over like the Damian Pierce. So it does seem like in general running backs have more and outs. injury. And I and think, and I think they have yeah. mo the most injury uh, potential in terms of moving up in value. So, yeah. Um, so let's let's dig into the stacking stuff, Mike. I, I guess there are, I would say, some intuitive stuff, maybe some non-intuitive stuff. What was like the most interesting takeaway you had from looking at the stacking data? Yeah, I mean, shout out to you guys. I know, Pete, you made the Week 17 is All That Matters video, but... I was definitely surprised at how much stacking improved your win rate in a 470 person field. And the way I kind of looked at this stuff was in taking all the teams that made the playoffs in best ball mania Four, rather than just looking at how they performed in the individual playoff weeks, I pretended like any of the 17 weeks could have been a finals week, a quarterfinals week, a semifinals week. So I just looked at like the cutoff of like week three you know, the top one out of 470th score, you know, teams that were above that threshold were credited with like a win. And that's sort of how I did mm. that analysis. And the game stacking really goes from a little bit beneficial in a semifinals field, which is 16 people, a quarterfinals field, which is 10 people to like really increasing your odds in in a finals field, which is 470 people. Mike, do you want to, you want to do a very, you want me to give you an idea for just a very sick and perverted exercise. You do a Twitter string showing which users would have won BBM three had their specific week been week 17 instead from all the playoff teams. Yeah, that would be, um, <laughs> It, they, you would have to be sick enough to know what your tournament entry ID and the underdog data is. Okay. I, guess you'd know, I guess you'd know what you'd know by the roster. Dude, if you know your tournament ID, <laughs> that is so sick. I think I know Pat's tournament entry ID. <laughs> but I actually wanted to like, like part four is going to be like, we throw this all in a machine learning model, all of it, and like come up with an expected value of every team that was drafted last year, which I think is interesting, like rank those. And I really wish the username was in there because then you could look at like all of Pat's teams and see like, how, you know, how many were EV, like what was the most EV, but <laughs> that'd be a good burn if like I only drafted one good EV team and it was, yeah. and it was the one who won. <laughs> we're tweaking the model, but the initial run that Sam, uh, you know, the one of the data scientists we just hired did was your team was like in the 82nd percentile, which is like really good. You know, um, the team that you drafted that ended up winning the whole thing. And it's it's your team. Like, it's fun that your team won in like a bunch of ways, but in a, in a nerdy spreadsheet virgin way, 
it like really makes it meshes really well with the article because you did a like happy to help a lot of the boxes <laughs> but then like you also had some like when when i come out with part three like some of your positional allocation stuff in isolation doesn't mess with mesh with like the absolute optimal way to play but it, that makes it a good counter example of like it's more important like how all these pieces work together versus doing like yeah every little well, thing like optimally because you talk in the first article about the stacking and i really enjoyed how you know you you talk about like um you know my team had tom brady to chris godwin to dj moore it didn't have mike evans which was the big piece from that game but Godwin and DJ Moore were pretty big. And <clears throat> then I had uh, George Kittle and Hunter Renfro, which was a mini correlation that uh, didn't really work, even though Kittle hit my final lineup. It didn't, I didn't really need him. I had a Patriots Miami game stack, uh, which I got a couple of pieces from, but I like, you were like, yeah, but did this was the correlation why you got pieces from this? Like that might not, th some players went off. I, it's not clear the correlation helped there. And then I had uh, a Daniel Jones to Saquon Barkley uh, and Wandale Robinson, who was injured. Jones had an awesome game, but that almost like destroyed Barkley's chances of having mm -hmm. a good game. And then Daniel Jones didn't make my lineup. So I had a lot of correlation in there, but it was really only one piece of correlation that went off. But that one piece like won me the thing. So it's like this it's it's a gray area like it helped it didn't necessarily um like completely it's it's not like it's a slam dunk that like oh you have to yeah. do this but at the same time the way i look at it as someone who bought into this idea is like yeah not all of it worked but the stuff that did work won me the tournament so i'm into it but you know i got lucky that that stuff worked yeah that, that's to some extent the point though is like if you're making three stacks you just need one of the three to go off on a week and like your odds of one of your stacks going off and then having the correlated pieces correct just increase by the more stacks that you have um which you know sounds obvious but uh you're not gonna you're not gonna see winning lineups where it's like all three stacks went off and it's like oh clearly you had to game stack you know it's it's more that i also didn't in for the playoff stuff i didn't include quarterback running back as a team stack for kind of that reason where like they're positively correlated over the course of a season. They're even positively correlated in a single game, but at like the real high ceiling levels, I think most quarterback and running backs probably aren't like great for winning yeah. a really large yeah. field. So I didn't include those as a, a team stack. Yeah. That's what I thought was interesting too. Looking at Pat's lineup and then King who won the regular season prize, both of them had quarterback to running back stacks. Pat had, Dimes and Saquon and King had um, Jalen Hurts and, and Miles Sanders. Um, one question I wanted to ask you as you go through these things, and I don't believe this is one part of your series, but I'm curious how you think about exposures falling into this, you know, because a lot of what we're talking about is creating good lineups and, and pulling these levers, these various structural strategies, stacking them together to get a really high expected value to a team. Like where does exposures play into that for you? Because a lot of the conversation when, you know, people love to post their exposures. I have 40% this guy, I'm overweight the field there, but it ultimately doesn't matter if you're not combining those with these other pillars. Yeah. And I think, you know, the exposure stuff is, to a large degree, it's personal preference. Like 
how you want to play it. You know, I don't think any like having a very diversified portfolio versus a very concentrated portfolio, one's better than the other. My preference is more for a diversified portfolio because I think like my edge is more in this structural stuff. So there's definitely an edge in like on a, in player level takes. Like I know we focus on it. So like, I think you want to mix that in, but I'd rather focus on the, the structural stuff. And then you kind of can get natural diversity. Like last year, I was not as into the game stacking as you guys were. And looking back on the data, you guys were more correct on that than I was, but I kind of lucked into, and I didn't draft a ton of teams last year, I draft like 10 or 12 teams, but I game stacked most of my stuff because it was kind of like, why not? You know what I mean? Like you're diversified. You can, that gives you a chance to diversify your portfolio to begin with. And then you grab the correlation and it's sort of like how it played out, right? It's like, if I'm getting guys at good value who are correlated, even if I'm skeptical that that correlation matters a much in the way that this contest works, I'm free rolling that, you know, it yeah. mattering and it did end up mattering. So I'm definitely more on the diversified port portfolio side of things, but you know, if you can figure out a way to make things work structurally and you have some really hard player takes, I don't think that that's wrong. It's just, it's hard to see how you're going to make all your teams like positive EV if you're chasing the, if you're, if you're being very extreme with that, right? Because then it's going to become more difficult to stack. It's going to become more difficult to get like ADP value if you're like always way ahead on, on someone because you're making sure you draft them. You're going to have to take them ahead of ADP. I'm very like player takey, but that's also part of the reason that I really enjoy the correlation and the stacking stuff is that to me, it's a natural diversifier is that if I'm trying to make sure that I'm stacking, it's like, God, I want to take this guy again, but I've already set up this thing. So I've got to take the bring back or I've got to like tack on another piece to this, you know, stack or whatever I'm trying to build. And it gives me a really objective sharp reason to go against the instinct which for me is just to sort of like continue betting on the thing that i do think i have an edge on which is you know these player takes and maybe i've overvalued that edge to an extent but to me it gives me a reason to move away from my original instinct of player takes and then i think ultimately the two kind of help balance each other out where because i've you know used the correlation and the tiebreakers to move away from the player takes at times it's not that i don't have player takes it's just that i end up in a better spot in terms of my overall portfolio yeah what one question for you mike because a lot of times the pushback you'll hear is that hey you know good structural strategies and stacking all of this is just table stakes now the entire field is doing this you can't get an edge doing that when looking at all of this data did you come away with like a similar feeling or is a lot of this stuff still underutilized? I think it's still underutilized. Like one thing I tried to do, and I don't want it to come off as overly precise because, you know, it's chopped up data from one year. It's meant to be descriptive, not predictive, but I tried to like back into an expected value based on doing some of these things. And you start getting like the expected value of a team when you enter the contest is what, like $22 when you consider the rake and whatnot. And some of this structural stuff, just like by itself, not even combined with other things, you can get up to like a $30 expected value just by doing some stacking stuff. Like that's that's pretty significant. Like you go from 
losing your 10% rate to being quite profitable overall just by stacking. So there are a lot of people doing the stacking. Um, the game stacking, what I saw was, I forgot the numbers. I don't have it in the article, but I kind of looked because I was looking at week 17 game stacks because I assumed there would be more of those than the, like the ones that randomly occurred throughout the season. And I think it was, but like by like five percentage points, like wow. not, it wasn't by like a ton, which again, like some of this stuff just randomly occurs more than you would expect kind of the game stacking, but also clearly like, a, you know, it didn't happen at a huge, huge rate that everybody of these playoff teams, like they weren't all set up with week 17 game stack. So I do think, and this is kind of the EV thing, right? This is the EV once you've already made the playoffs, which is why it's so much higher than that number that I originally gave. But if you just assumed randomness, you know, your expected value in the playoffs is like $133. And then if you just look at uh, game stacked quarterbacks, this is kind of how it changes. Now mm. it's a little bit misleading because you're probably not setting up game stacks for the quarters and the semis and the finals, but mm. the finals has the biggest impact anyways. And then also if you're game stacked three quarterbacks in the finals, that means you have to at least be team stacked for the quarters and the semis, right? Cause you can't right. be game stacked without having the team stack, which, you know, persists across all weeks. Can I ask you a question? Cause the next part of this is about the ADP value and how important that is. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is you wrote this article and you, you talk about how uh, in the next part of the article, you talk about, you know, if you draft later in the summer, you're going to have a better chance of, landing more live players as you went to the playoffs. But if you draft earlier, you're going to have potential draft more, um, you know, closing line value. One of the things that I've been trying to think about is like, what about drafting before the NFL schedule drops? Like how important right. is this stacking to where, like, because in the first week of the tournament, we're going to get the most ADP value, right? There's going to be stuff that we look back on in that first week. Where we're like, wow that guy was going in the 18th round or whatever. That's crazy. But we have no real chance of game stacking week 17 that week. Like as you've looked at kind of the difference between the stacking value and the closing line value value, um, also the risk of drafting that early. Like, do you have a sense of, you know, if, if it's that great to draft that week or if it's, if it's an edge or, or, you know, what do you think about that? I think really early that week, the first couple of days, it's worth drafting to get possibly some insane ADP closing line value. But I'd probably quickly shut that off when you factor in the inability to set up your week 17 game stacks, as well as the odds on having making live players through. They just get crushed, you know, the earlier you draft. Um and so that's kind of what I, what I think with that. It's like, yeah, fight, fire off some drafts the first day or two that it comes out, but like get probably, the best, the best of the closing line value juice. Yeah. Do fast drafts only probably that week. Um, first couple of days when the ADP is in shambles and the pre-draft rankings, like, like sky Moore last year was like, I think they had them like two in the two hundreds or something. Uh, you know, it's still a value, Pete. It was still a value in the 200s. Yeah. Well, like, I, he, he just sticks out to me as someone where it's like, this is a guy that, you know, probably going to get steamed at some point, did, and 
I mean, you could have taken them into double digit rounds. Like whether it worked out or not, you got huge closing line value, right? And we know that statistically closing line value is huge. So, but I probably won't draft a ton of teams early. I'll draft most of them. I think like mid mid July to mid August to me looked like you know the sweet spot to draft. Maybe starting on like July 18th or something. <laughs> July 18th is probably a good day to start. July 18th, just you just want to multi table for t- just take the day off from work. Now, and- what do you think about this? Because this is another thing that I've kind of thought about. Is like okay, let's say July 18th, you know, theoretically was the very very best day to draft. You wouldn't start on July 18th. You wouldn't draft your first team on July 18th. You would you'd want to be firing all cylinders on July 18th. You want to you'd want to be hitting your peak as a drafter on July 18th. So that's like another thing to think about, right? It's like I've got to make sure I have a complete knowledge of the player pool that I that I understand, oh, this guy just went, you know, that means I need to start lining up, you know, this other player and and have like all of that kind of learn knowledge feeling like an instinct by the time you're actually so you probably want to start drafting a little earlier than is optimal based on these numbers that you're feeling like you're in your prime yeah i mean does it take that long though i don't know i think i'd read i think <laughs> I, I think it's i think to me it does i mean to me I, I probably want at least a dozen drafts under my belt before i felt like i was really firing in my in my fast draft prime yeah i did feel a little bit better about slow doing slow drafts though I think I'll be in the slow draft game. Uh, Let's go. I get a lot the, of shit in the slow draft streets. Welcome. Welcome. The slow draft stuff I looked at, the fast drafts, you're more likely to have like really good ADP value, but it's not like drastically. Sh- it's well, not like drastically so. let me just tell you what's going to happen. Is that you've now told all the other sharps that slow drafts are cool and fun. <laughs> So slow drafts are in absolute avoid. I, I'm I'm pulling a Liamir and I'm thinking one step ahead of y'all. This, you don't do slow drafts because because Leone's <laughs> just said slow drafts are good. You you definitely avoid slow drafts in 2023. I, I, mean, I, I honestly I, this might be a legit concern, JG saying, but what are we gonna do if BBM four fills before July 18th? <laughs> like the way people are blasting off this year, like this contest could actually fill a lot sooner than people expect. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm drafting in yeah. June. I'm drafting in June for sure. I, once the NFL schedule's out, I think I'm good to draft. I don't. I like what you were showing about how important it is to have a lot of players, um, you know, entering the playoffs that you want a lot of live players. And there's really no way to make sure you have a lot of live players other than just to like draft with more information. I think there's some ways that you can maybe like increase your odds, but nothing's going to increase your odds as much as just having more information. So drafting in May and June is going to, hurt you there but you do have chances of getting better closing line value um and i don't know i mean part of it it just does feel to me like it's always going to be random like you might have that that chance to to get just an insane closing line value in a june draft that you yeah the chances of um you know on average that that type of value didn't exist but you happen to just hit the nuts and that's much more likely to happen early than late yeah. So one thing I I liked about doing this article though is I I felt like doing like the EV exercise at the end helped me to like not fall too far into the trap of like oh this might not be great overall but when it does work it really works sort mm-hmm. of thing because like that's accounted for in the EV you know what I mean like right right that, right like what 
So, and, and that was the other thing that was really interesting to me with the ADP value stuff. There's definitely some flaws because we're looking at closing line ADP value and like how much of that is controllable. And that's one of the follow-ups I'm going to do is we're like kind of recalculating the ADP ourselves at like the time of draft to kind of redo that analysis with the ADP value at the time of the draft. But <laughs> the, the, Liam's absolutely wrong on that, by the way. Um, I don't but, know. Is he, he you, what do you think is more stressful to, to uh, your personal life, slow drafts or fast drafts? You're, you're the expert. Now. Oh, it's definitely fast drafts. I, I can do everything in my life while slow drafting. Fast Even drafts, when you've man. blasted yeah, off 50 slow drafts? I don't get this. Dude, like it's so much easier, Pat, than if I have to carve out an hour, like I can't carve out an hour. Like that's going to get me divorced way Not more. Not all of me. us are, are uh, don't have kids and are multimillionaires, Pat. Um, some of us have kids. I didn't know you guys were an hour away from a divorce, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. But I we apologize. Are. It's always thin ice. Okay. Um, the thing I was feeling back on though, is like the relationship to the ev point like the relationship between advance rate and playoff stuff i found like really interesting where the game and i kind of found it encouraging that like just playing this contest in general i feel like more encouraged by like it's still like super mega variant but the game stacking stuff clearly helps you in the playoffs more than i thought but then when i look at the importance of advancing out of the regular season and the impact on the ev like that's pretty huge too like the it's like um like a 40 percent increase in your finals win rate is equivalent to like a 10 percent increase in your season long advance rate and that's kind of like when we talk dfs like product ownership right like when you start multiplying like the odds of having made it to like the different stages to begin with getting increasing your odds of just getting to the playoffs is like super important mm -hmm. too now those things aren't like necessarily in contrast with one another but i found that well, have you really ever been on Twitter.com? <laughs> uh, well, Leone, one thing I want to ask you about this um, and kind of looking at some of the EV stuff and the benefits of stacking three different quarterbacks with pass catchers, I would imagine that people could potentially misinterpret this in a way where they're forcing three quarterback builds, even if they've already devoted some decent capital to the quarterback position because they say, Hey, I got to get that third stack. That's going to make me more, you know, positive EV. Where do you think the tipping point is for going to get that third quarterback? Because that stack opens up a lot of possibilities, but also knowing, Hey, you got two, you know, elite quarterbacks early. You need to stop devoting capital to the position. Yeah. So that's where I do wonder if there's some, like, yeah, the one, picture is like a little misleading where like three game stack qbs looks like the absolute best um i'm not sure exactly here where. it is this yeah. One, yeah so the reason that's a little misleading is because the two game stacked qbs can also include three qb teams that only had two game stacked qbs uh, when you gotcha. if you scroll mm. down a little bit to like the ev chart like when you break it up yeah, when you break it up, like two QBs rostered and two QBs game stacked is better than three QBs rostered and three QBs game stacked. And then when I do my part three that's coming out, any way you dice it, like two quarterbacks is better than three playoff win rates and regular season advance rates. The only thing I think that's missing that could be good for three quarterbacks is, and that I, for everything that I did, that I, I did not replicate was 
the three consecutive playoff weeks. You know, I kind of looked at everything in isolation. And I do wonder if there's something with like the odds of three weeks in a row of like having a third guy that could randomly get you over the hump. And anecdotally, we've all kind of experienced that. So, but I think at the end of the day, it's like, like everything we talk about, like you just got to feel out the draft. You know, if you got two elite quarterbacks early, you should not be grabbing a third just no. so you can make a game stack. Um, but if you, but where do you think the line is? Like, you know, like we're, because at a certain point, if you don't take that third quarterback, you're not going to advance. And and that's that's where I ended up. If I didn't take Daniel Jones, I wouldn't have advanced my team even to the playoff rounds. Um, but at the same time, like if you're going into a draft thinking, oh, I'm going to build three quarterbacks with three game stacks, you're almost certainly giving away expected value because two quarterbacks has just been such a stronger way to build these teams. Not just, I mean, there's a lot of best ball data that shows two quarterbacks is a stronger build than three quarterbacks. So I guess like, where are you thinking about like, okay, I, my first quarterback came in, you know, round seven, around eight, around nine, you know, my second quarterback came, like, do you have any thoughts on when it's time to pivot to the three quarterback build? Yeah. I mean, what was interesting is in the part that's coming out when I broke up by like the draft capital spent at the quarterback position even when you weren't spending a lot of capital at the position, like two was kind of better than three. Um, but I do think like, so your team, for example, is really good kind of example of where you took Tom Brady, then Tua, and you didn't spend a lot of draft capital on either of those players. You got Brady at pick 90, Tua at pick 138. And then you got Daniel Jones at 162. So you got all three of those players ahead of ADP. Um, in the aggregate, you got ADP value on all three of those players. And then also, I, I'm guessing you liked those players to an extent. I know by like ETR's rankings, like you got positional ADP. I think Brady value. was the one I liked the least. I checked that I was even, I was even on Daniel Jones. I had 8% of him. I liked Tua. Uh, I think I don't think I had a ton of Brady, but I had a lot of Rashad White. So my guess is that I was sort of like, hey, I'll build the other side of this. Mm -hmm. And I went with a Brady. Yeah. For that. That's my point is like, so you were probably with a tween, you were kind of one of those on the line drafts, right? With like Brady and Tua, you probably could have gone either way. But I think because you got ADP value positionally on all three of them individual or collectively, you got ADP value on three. And then you also got like by ETR's rankings, like we had Brady as QB nine. He was QB 10 by ADP. We had two as QB 16. He was QB 17 by ADP. We had Daniel Jones as QB 19. He was QB 21 by ADP. Like those are small value increments on top of the closing line ADP value you already got. So I guess my point is like, you got to feel it out. Like if you're getting players that you like at value, you, you're going to be able to mess with the structure a little bit. I think your structure was probably like right on the line of like, like if you should go two versus three, um, which, and you also had with Tua and Brady in particular, like two kind of statue quarterbacks, um, right? Like you get the rushing upside with dimes, you get the bigger built out stacks with the statue quarterbacks. I thought it made 
a lot of sense. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year because I do think the three QB stuff should, in theory, pull a little bit closer to two QB teams if elite quarterbacks are going off earlier and earlier. Mm. Unless it pushes up like all the quarterbacks up the draft board, then it's like, which it kind of is, which it kind of is. One one thing I've been thinking about a lot, and it was triggered when Osimo kind of first wrote his article, looking at some of his sims for the positive you know, reasons to take three quarterbacks. And it is this idea of when you show up to the finals, specifically week 17, there's the self-selection bias to the rosters where the league winner players are there. There were a ton of teams that showed up with Jalen Hurts. And the same thing when there's the league winning running back, it was like two years ago on, on Liam's team that Jonathan Taylor, everyone had JT, everyone had Mark Andrews. And then thinking like, what, how do you get the most bang for your buck uniqueness getting there and i do think it is with that third qb because you can make the same thing for seven eight running back builds with zero rb where it's like i have all these chances for one of these low advance rate guys to go off but when you have that third qb that's stacked you're getting the double whammy you're also getting another unique piece like pat did even unstacked with the taekwon thornton and the jacoby myers guys showing up and so that's the only thing i'm thinking about of why i really like the idea of the three quarterback builds is just what it does for you from a uniqueness perspective when you get to the finals. And Brady was that for me. And the interesting thing is that oh, yeah, Brady yeah. Brady was the guy that I snuck in and he was the first guy that I drafted. Um, but the, you know, the Tua gets hurt. If Tua didn't get hurt, maybe he would have been pretty popular in the, you know, in the final round. Um, but, but he obviously didn't even play in week 17. And so Daniel Jones kind of helped me get there. Had a big enough week where he would have hit my lineup if Brady like doesn't rush in a touchdown right at the end. But yeah. Um, getting, getting, a, I mean, Tom Brady was not the guy you needed at any point in the 2022 season before week 17. Well, that's, what's crazy about your entire roster. Like Pat, you don't have, and this was kind of like buying for a nice team a couple years ago where we didn't have like a single league winner on that team. Like you didn't have, I mean, Ramondre was probably what the closest you had to like yeah. a league winning pick. Ramondre was the league winner. Yeah. This- and then George Kittle was 15 and 16. He, Right. And 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 Eckler. I mean, Eckler. Eckler wasn't viewed as the league winner because Justin Jefferson had that good of a season, but Austin Eckler had an incredible season. But yeah, Herzig's team that won a couple of years ago. Granted, the contest was way smaller than didn't have like it, it had a bunch of gross players, and that's where I do think though, like if you just keep drafting teams with smart structures, like that's kind of why I'm on the diversified portfolio a little bit more. Like you you draft a bunch of really smart teams you advance like way more than you should like your odds of just running into something lucky just like kind of increase um but i do think pete your point with the three quarterbacks it's like if you're unsure like i think that's enough to tip you to like okay if you don't draft an elite quarterback maybe you should draft three like there's these other reasons that we haven't fully quantified that could definitely be you know pretty impactful and and increasing your ev and I've been using it now uh, because I am in a million big board slow drafts. I've been using that as a tiebreaker because I have found, I don't know if you guys have felt this uh, with the big board drafts, but having those two extra slots, I do almost always feel like I have a luxury pick. Do I want that third yeah, tight end, yeah. the third quarterback, tack on the extra running back wide receiver? And I will break ties in favor of the third quarterback if I have a natural stack pairing there. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's just right there. I'll just take that and have that be my luxury pick. And I, it has been informed by a lot of this kind of stuff and what we saw play out last year. I want you to know that I'm about to take Trey Lance in a, in a slow draft. What pick? What number? 
uh 64 60 what pick is this ah uh, uh you want super flex slow drafts Okay, I was gonna say that better be super flex. <laughs> oh yeah, that's super. All right, isn't that all that's going on right now? Do we yeah, no. Well, some of us are still in big board slow drafts. I actually, I've, oh, I've okay. had this whole thing with like when you first entered those slow drafts, <clears throat> I couldn't believe it. And then you did the video, and I thought it was very funny. And then I realized you were still drafting them, and I like felt sick to my stomach and bad for you. And now I'm jealous. Now I'm actually jealous that you still you have should big be. board drafts. I still have 35 big board drafts going. I only have 115 <laughs> completed. I'm legitimately <laughs> jealous you still get to draft big board drafts. That's so that's so amazing. Well, and yeah, and you know what, Pat? The other big bonus is uh, my marriage is still completely intact. I'm not an <laughs> hour it, away though? from divorce. Dude, I, feel, <laughs> I feel so much stress when I have slow drafts going. Like I can't, it's like it's in the it's back of my head and I can't. Dude remember like what twice a day at the no, right hour twice clock. a day i like panic i'm like oh i forgot to check my slow drafts that's it's a you problem not a slow i draft know it's problem. a me problem that's why i don't fucking slow draft <laughs> uh well pat you have enough time you can carve out fucking fast drafts whenever you want <laughs> some of us were out spreading mulch in our yard for an hour and a oh, half yeah, that sounds today, terrible dude so. that sounds terrible yeah, I, like, I do feel like drafting yeah my day like with like Micah's school schedule, it's a little bit better now that he's like full day kindergarten. But like, if I'm like exercising and doing stuff, like my workday gets shrunk down. Like I can't just take an hour to like. Multi-table. It was eighty degrees today, dude. It was eighty degrees. Sit in the backyard, sunshine on your face. Draft is draft, draft. That's all you gotta do. Liam, are you trying to call my bluff? on me spreading mulch for 90 minutes earlier because i might have taken a selfie that i didn't even end up posting just for this wow. very moment when dude. someone didn't think i dude. had my hand in the pull dirt. it up pull it up right. you got your fucking android shit i'm sure you got some app they can like, yeah this is there. if we're gonna it sounds like yeah i've not posted this photo here you go fucker me doing mulch <laughs> out yes. in my driveway yes <laughs> oh liam that must hurt that must hurt <laughs> 10 seconds oh, later, man. he's got the photo. God, go surf some chaos. Ooh, oh, yeah. God. he's already <laughs> dead. Oh, no, he was just talking about being on the clock at slow drafts. But I did just show you <laughs> a photo of me doing mulch. <laughs> um, man, I will tell you, like, I have now, like, with the, you know, like, basically all the time I'm just doing, like, weighing, you know, how much is my time worth? for doing stuff. And the quote I got for spreading mulch was so outrageous that I was like, I just have to do this myself. I just absolutely have to do it. I'm not paying for this. Can you, can you share? No, it was, it was way too much. Money. <laughs> I would love to know what mulch goes. Like I kind of want to know if I would. What? It was like, like $1,800 for all the mulch and all the labor. And I was just like, are you kidding me? And I was so disgusted. I didn't even want to shop around. I was like, screw this. I'm doing it myself. Wow. Um, yeah uh, Damn, uh, uh all right Rachel and you had it. the mulch that's not with the mulch that's you bought no the i had them you. drop i had this nursery come and drop it off in my driveway and i told them God, okay if we're doing this they tell you to put like a trash can where you want the mulch and so i put it like right by the side but where i knew i was gonna be taking it and they're like uh yeah i'm just gonna dump it in the middle of your driveway so now i can't even like drive into my driveway it's a whole oh ordeal all right, so and then better, part better three of quick. this story, you spread the mulch. So, Pete, tell us about how you spread the mulch. Well, I'm like a fourth of the way done spreading the mulch, and it's going to be a long, arduous process. And was, this is why I have to slow draft, Pat. So <laughs> do you think it was worth $1,800 now? 
I mean, I think right now <laughs> I still say it's worth doing it myself. Talk to me after the next hour and a half, and I'll probably wave the white flag. Wait, are you mulching <laughs> after this this podcast? You're me. No. I but the rest of the week I have to keep finding time to go spread oh, this goddamn God. mulch. I got to get it into wheelbarrow and fucking schlep it all around. How many hours oh. do you think it'll take you overall? I think I have like another four hours of mulch. <laughs> it's just eighteen hundred doesn't sound bad at all now. How I much? It. That sounds pretty. Reasonable. How much is your time worth? <laughs> That's well, I did. I did the hourly rate, and I was like, I don't know if I can justify. I mean, so you're still like three hundred dollars an hour, right? Yeah, so I was like, I mean, <laughs> goals. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, but thank you, Liam, for helping me uh, inadvertently build my uh, hand in the dirt street cred there. I mean, Silva would never, would never. <laughs> Honestly, um, it kind of was an Android uh, cell for me that you were able to pull it up that quick on a on a PC. Well, you got the auto upload to Google Photos, uh, and so I was able to share that. Um, Here's a, I'll show you another cute photo while I have this up. I take April on walks uh, basically every day, and she just passes out. And now I've, I've been having to give oh her the hat and sunglasses. Oh, so my is, God. April passed out on the walk today. Wow, dude. I love it. That's <laughs> yeah. delightful. It's so good. It's so, And I think people like – I think people are used to seeing like really little babies in strollers when they're out on walks. And so uh -huh. she's just like kind of bobbing around and it looks like the Galifianakis baby in the hangover. That's just kind of like in the yeah, carrier yeah. straight out. It always catches people off guard. Um, all right. Back to best ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mulch chasing. Um, all right. Leone, anything else here as we go down from the, ADP value, because I think there's two different ways you can think about ADP value, right? There's like in your given room, when a pick falls 10 picks past ADP, and it's basically this draft room isn't acknowledging the market for some reason. And then there's also the closing line value element, which is what we're talking about with Ramondre or when King got Damian Pierce, like 75 picks ahead of where he closed. So do you make any distinctions between ADP value relative to like over the course of the summer versus in an individual draft room. Would you say that again? I want to make sure. Yeah, sorry. Answer. I was saying there's like two types of ADP values you can get. It's like in your draft room, everyone just decides they don't want to take David Montgomery. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Things. So yeah, yeah. The the analysis I did is purely over the course of the off season. Like, what's the final ADP the start of the season versus where you got them at in your draft. The follow-up I'm going to do is the other type of ADP value that you're talking about, which is basically like, what's the ADP you're looking at in your draft room versus what you're getting them? Like, so you know your immediate ADP value as soon as yeah. the draft ends. And I want to look at that to kind of see the correlation to closing line value and, and basically just do the same analysis that I did. But for that type of ADP value, I'm sure it's going to be way less impactful. There's going to be way less variance in terms of like how good and how bad your, your ADP value you can get, but I'm, I'm definitely interested to see, see what that spits out. But I think because that's where knowing the player pool really comes in because <clears throat> there are certain guys that have been rising. Like this year, you, you look at certain guys that have been rising and we've done ADP chasing every week. And one of the things that's jumped out to me is like the risers repeat, you know, every Friday it's like, this guy's a riser. And then the next <laughs> Friday he's a riser again. And the follower mm -hmm. is a follower again. And so if you don't understand why a certain player is falling to you in a draft, it might be because in a month they're going to be going two rounds past where you currently are. 
And so, yeah, they're a value in that particular draft, but they're actually not a very good closing line value bet. Now, that might also not be the case. It might just be you're in a weird room. And so I think that's where, like, you know, you you really have to have a good feel for the player pool and make a decision on the clock of, like, no, this is kind of weird that this guy's here, and I'm going to scoop him up. I don't like him, but this is a really good value on him. You know, and, and I and I feel confident that I'm actually getting closing line value uh, with this ADP value here. Yeah, the the falling knife aspect. And that's what I was going to say, too, and why I was wondering how much even ADP value in your specific draft, how important that is. Because, one, you very rarely see a guy slip more than 10 picks past ADP unless there is like a news-based thing that the ADP hasn't fully reflected yet. So I'm like, yes, I, I like to uh, woo and get excited when I take a guy, you know, 12 picks past yeah. ADP, but am I actually even gaining anything from that? Yeah. So I hope, hope to have an answer for you yeah. in the future. And then that too would give a little bit more clarity on like, at what point should I grab my stack, right? Like how much is it worth grabbing a stack ahead of ADP value? Yeah. I still kind of lean towards like attempting to build like super teams and getting kind of lucky with your, like getting your stack at value. And, but I definitely lean a little heavier this year than last year of like prioritizing it ahead of the ADP value. But yeah, hopefully you get a better, better indication of that when we look at the ADP value at the time of the draft, not, not just the closing line ADP value. I do think like the number of live players stuff is interesting to look at just because like how extreme it is. Um, like the, the expected value of the three game stacked QBs that we looked at, like once you make the playoffs was $164, which looks like a huge increase over randomness, which is $133. But the, when you start looking at the number of live, yeah. So like that three game stack QBs looks good. If you scroll all the way down, I don't know if you can do a find on like number of live players. Um, if you go to that chart though, you can like that gap barely even registers. Now you don't have much control over this at all. Um, if you do number of live players, I think that's oh no, that's in the never mind, that's like in the in image title. So but um I'll keep scrolling, keep going. Yeah, yeah. But basically it's just kind of astounding at like if you're just healthy. Oh, wow. If you're just healthy. I mean, like it's insane, um, which is why I think I will forego some of the, you know, ADP value early in the summer and draft a little bit later and kind of try and thread the needle because if you can increase your odds of, of getting through healthy players, it's just it's so huge. And I also want to follow up on this, splitting it up a little bit more instead of just doing it by like the total number of players on the roster, like try and tease out the impact of like, obviously if you have 15 live players, that means the odds of one of your important players early getting right. hurt is just way less. Cause there's only three dead players on the roster. So like how much of it is it just your early players getting hurt or not versus like back-end players contributing in some way. But this is just based on like anyone who scored above zero in that given week was considered a live player. Like they could have scored one point. They were considered a live player. So I want to tease it out a little bit more, but it's, I mean, it's insane. Like if you, Pat, your team was at 15 live players, like mm-hmm. your EV, like almost doubled on that basis alone, like heading into the playoffs. Well, and that's, what's so crazy too, is because, 
if you really think about it, the number of live players and the like closing line value, those are almost on opposite values of the spectrum on how you would achieve those, right? You draft right. earlier to get really yes. good closing line value. You draft super, super late to have more live players because you have the most information and you've, you're able to, you know, sift through all the injuries that, you know, have happened in the preseason. So that's why Pat's lineup is so unique because he was able to accomplish both those things, which is also hilarious that he drafted almost like perfectly in the middle of the summer. Yeah, if you scroll right. down, there's a there's an interesting kind of chart that like starts to to tease out a little bit of the um like when to there it is the when to draft mm. like number of live players and you can see like May and June are just like tough like yeah like like ten over ten percent of drafts in May were were ten percent of teams were drafted in May but only 5% of teams that enter the playoffs with 18 live players were from May. So it was like cut in half your odds mm. of making it to the playoffs mm. with, within, with 18 live players. And then, so you see July, August is like a pretty, pretty nice cutoff there. And then when we do kind of the same type of look by ADP value, like once you hit August, September, it's like hard to get like a really high end ADP value team. It's just, you're not going to get, there's just less time to get closing line ADP value. So. And you, you could, talk you could about, also say though, that like it tracks with, you know, one of the things we always say, right. Is the earlier you draft, the more landmines you're likely to step on, but the better chance you have at making a super team. And when you say better chance at making a super team, I think everyone acknowledges that's a really thin chance. So if you're saying, Hey, 5% chance here of a team where you're able to create a healthy team that also got some good closing line value, you know, maybe that risk reward still is there. Yeah, it might be. I just, I kind of think though, if when you combine it though, it just it just the answers kind of point to July, early August, where it's like mm -hmm. that's your best chance of getting both. Um, but I will say that, you know, last year the barbell strategy was really in vogue, and so people felt like a lot of sharp drafters were like, "I'm drafting in August, or I'm drafting in May and June," and like <laughs> me and Pete no. were like. We have a lot of shit to do, so we're going to be drafting the whole summer. So, you know, I kind of spread my mind out. I drafted more, you know, kind of barbelly, but I, but I kind of actually consider July early, like before training camp starts. I still think is is an early draft. So I kind of what I took off was maybe like, um, like the very end of July and like early August when like training camp was kind of like flying and lots of information was coming in and I kind of waited until I had like actual information. But <clears throat> my point is I felt like in those, you know, July 18th, like around that date drafts, a lot of people weren't drafting. A lot of people who are really strong competition weren't drafting. And now I wonder if like, maybe that turns into June, like maybe the ADP value this year is stronger in June than it would have been because, you know, the takeaway from here is, man, we really got to draft draft in july july is the prime yeah. month and if you scroll down you can see the same kind of charts which is draft month in adp value mm. um and you you know, like all these have to net to zero because if, if if bucket one which is the best adp value that's all the way on the left that that's overrepresented it's got to be underrepresented somewhere else so that's kind of why you see the graphs the shape that they are because it has to net out at zero in some way like no matter where you draft, like the ADP value buckets have to like even out. So it's just a matter of like where the over under representation is. And you see in May, June that in May in particular, like 
you get really big swings. There's some really bad teams, mm. which is fine because mm. you're just accepting L's. Like you have to be able to take your L when you're drafting and you get some really good teams. But the same shape kind of applies to July as it does to May, which is why I'm kind of zoned in. I'm a little skeptical that that is impacted where there were just so many barbell drafters that July was that much softer than like other months. But, and you see, I don't think it was that much softer, but I don't think it hurt. And I guess I'm wondering if you, if Leone says July is the month to draft, I don't think that's going to help July. (laughs) I I don't think people uh, are listening to me to the extent that you think. Yeah. You don't think maybe DFS is the hardest it's ever been. And it's, it's ruined okay I, I, <laughs> fair enough but as far as like the people that said they were barbelling are generally people who are like coming up with their own ideas and i don't think they're gonna be changing yeah. their yeah. their ideas Qu- question about the live player stuff and i think josh was kind of hinting at this with one of his questions in the chat was there any more granular data on the live player stuff maybe from a positional level i guess i'm trying to wonder are there any if you were to adjust your strategies earlier in the off season to try to sidestep more of the live players, would there be a structure or a thing you would do? I mean, intuitively I want to say zero RB makes a ton more sense early on if you're trying to have more live players, but did you see anything well, else in the data? Um, I did not. I think those are good questions. I was actually thinking zero RB is better for like the ADP closing line value. I don't know if it's better for number of, yeah, live I don't players, actually think so. it's better for number of live players. Because even in like when zero RB hits, you're you're kind of like I'm writing off like a few running backs, right? Because I'm basically like I'm gonna have you know this one running back contribute three weeks, and then he's gonna get hurt, and then I'm gonna have this other running back kind of chip in. Like in zero running back, you're almost you know, I mean you'd be you'd be absolutely smashing to have sixteen live players entering the playoffs of the zero running back team generally because you've drafted so many running backs. I. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I would almost say like, this is just me purely speculating, but three QB teams earlier make more sense to me where the odds of your later round skill player being on the roster in any way, shape Mm -hmm. or form Mm -hmm. is less. So you might as like, why not take the third quarterback or the third tight end or something? I probably, I probably want to, I don't know. It's rookies. Rookies, I think are probably something to think because one thing to think about what we're talking about is we're not talking about you know players who are going to score a ton of points like if you advance and you have a rookie and that rookie is probably more likely than a veteran to be live for you in the playoffs going forward right like it doesn't matter that Trey McBride didn't do anything to start the year if he helps you out in the playoffs it's a massive win so I do think rookies would be one way to sort of like lean in the late rounds i also think as the draft goes on like as the season goes on maybe to lean away from three quarterback i like your idea of going three quarterback builds early but to me you know we've talked about how much more powerful two quarterback builds are in general but quarterbacks with low job security in the late rounds just seem like a quick way to hurt yourself in a number of different ways we already know that it's not the best build to tackle on a third and now you're looking at a guy, you're like, I need this guy to advance. But if you don't end up needing that guy to advance, and then he's a he's a dead player for you because he got benched. Yeah. It seems like that absolutely crushes your EV. Yeah, I think that's a really sharp point about the third quarterback. Like, it's just a bad bat, right? Like, it's 
for, for to take a risky to play third quarterback, I think is, is yes. likely like a Marcus Mariota last year, right? Like Marcus Mir. Oh, he's a rushing guy, you know? Well, guess what? He's going to get benched. We know he's going to get benched. They drafted this guy Ritter. Like he, we all think he sucks, but he's going to end up playing by the end of the year. You know, it was a pretty easy bet. And that's exactly what happened. I just think that that kind of, you know, that play as we get, especially as we get deeper into the season and we feel more confident that that's going to happen, then it's like your payoff is potentially nothing because uh, those types of quarterbacks are probably not needed for you to advance anyway. They're very unlikely to add a spike week. And then if there is zero for you entering the playoffs based on these charts, it's like a huge deal. It really hurts your chances. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to crap on Sam Howell any more than I already have, but that's Please. that's the type yeah, of I mean, that's, every, that's the type of play that I, I think is is potentially really bad. One thing that I I found interesting that's going to be in part three, but if I so I bucketed the quarterbacks by draft capital spent and regular season advance rates. If you were I, I bucketed them into like five buckets, so like. Bucket one means you spent top 20 percentile draft capital on quarterback. Buckets one and three had plus EV advance rates. Bucket two was like by far the best, which would have been like you're taking an elite quarterback, but like you're not taking like two super early. You know, you're spending, but like not a crazy amount on quarterback. And and all this stuff, of course, is shaped by like, you know, Jalen Hurts was like not the most expensive quarterback. And he had huge advance rates. So you have to like keep that in mind. But it, it was really impactful on regular season advance rates. If you were in buckets four and five, your advance rates were like 13-ish percent, 13 to 14%, which is like pretty bad when your average advance rates like 16.7%. But then when it came to the playoffs, it didn't really make a difference. And this was so counterintuitive to the arguments I myself was making last year, which was basically like, you know, three might help you get there, but for that single week upside, you're going to need, you know, right. the elite quarterback who goes off for whatever reason. In this analysis that I did it, once you made the playoffs, it didn't, your, your estimated playoff advance rates for a single week upside were kind of unaffected by how much you spent at quarterback, which I thought hmm. was, was interesting. I mean, I'm not saying that like that argument I had last year that didn't hold water isn't valid because again, like this stuff's going to change. We could run the same season over again and get completely different results and overanalyze them because it's just one season. And Hertz got out. hurt, you know, you know, that's probably the fact that but he it got does, hurt. but it is all 17. Weeks oh, it is all 17 like weeks. Right. Right. Yeah. Good. Point. So it was. Well, yeah. One, one more for you here, Leone. I do expect um, at least the payout structure for Best Ball Mania 4 to change. And I imagine there's going to be more prize money paid out to regular season top finishers beyond just first place mm -hmm. overall. Do you think getting out in front of that thought that there's some stuff you can do drafting wise um, looking at, you know, because you did segment it by regular season advance rate stuff. Do you think there's some stuff there are specific levers people can pull if they're trying to optimize for one through 14, as opposed to the playoff weeks. Um, I mean, if you really wanted to like get your schedule opponents down, if you could find like common opponents among your quarterbacks to get 
multiple game stacks throughout the regular season hmm. and thus increase your weekly upside, um, which we know increases weekly upside. Like that'd be something that you could do. Um, other than that, I'd have to look a little bit closer to see, cause I looked at, you know, the advance rates for the regular season, but I didn't look at like the top 1% scores for the regular season, which I've done in the past. And I'm sure some of the data would be changed for that. Um, you what I'm hearing go... is if there's any divisional matchups in week 17 yeah. to hammer those because you get that <laughs> sweet, sweet regular season potential. Yeah, yeah, you get you get the playoff stack with the with the regular yeah. regular season stacking. You get to double dip. But like <laughs> if you if you took like three division, three quarterbacks in the same division or something, right? Like you'd you'd have all these common opponents that you could take in games like you could just play the NFC, the AFC West, right? Yeah, like, maybe not the AFC West though. That didn't work. Yeah, well, I, I'm just thinking, <laughs> there's there's quarter there's three, there's like they're all rosterable quarterbacks, right? Like, um, but yeah, I okay, it's debatable. <laughs> but the other thing, I guess, like just I know the risk reward stuff's probably a little bit different. Some of my pushback still on the risk reward stuff in the playoffs is like there's so much randomness once we get to the playoffs in the three consecutive weeks that like like you want to optimize your teams for the playoffs, but it's still like super random. But like I don't know, I might do more risk reward stuff of just getting like the absolute insane team in the regular season, right? Because like the playoffs, you don't need to have the best team, right? Like yeah, you you just gotta you know, there, there's a lot of stuff with the unique players that, you know, yeah, like we saw, roasted my team. We get it. <laughs> the, but like you had unique players in week 17, you know, you had the three quarterback build that got there. Like, like there's just things that happen, right? Like you even said, like this team wouldn't have advanced with a different pod, right? Like, it, well, I don't know. It wouldn't playoff. have advanced. Well, it probably wouldn't have advanced. Yeah. Different pod, but, um, it wouldn't have advanced without Austin Eckler's second touchdown. We barely advanced out of the okay yeah so you were like but i just mean like there's so there's randomness whereas like if you're winning the regular season prizes like you you've had the best team over 14 weeks right there's obviously a bunch of randomness in getting the best team like don't get me wrong but like the the best team is is winning well regular season prize you know what i mean like i I don't know there's just like a little different mindset for me there but yeah, and it, I mean, it, to me, I guess looking at your data in like the benefits of the three quarterback and the three different stacks you can get that help you through the playoff gauntlet, to me, that would be diminished and locking up really good closing line value would be even more important for weeks one through 14, where you're essentially getting the league winners that move up massively. So it would, I think, maybe skew things toward drafting earlier, like if you were off, because you'd have yeah. a much better chance at that. That's where I was rambly kind of going with my, like, I'd be more into like the high risk, high reward strategies with that, which is exactly what you said. Like taking more chances at just getting obscene closing line value by drafting early and hoping to get lucky with, with the number of live players. Yeah. But the, but it is crazy. Like then going back to like just the playoff expected value, it is, it is crazy. Like, again, like how much your regular season advance rate influences the overall team's expected value which is why i'm like a little bit less willing to take that those super big swings on the adp Mm -hmm. closing line value and i care more about the live players because well one we know live players matters a ton in the playoffs but like just making it to the playoffs in and of itself is like a pretty big w 
Yeah, and I think that to the extent that you can make sure you're increasing your odds of making the playoffs without sacrificing your week 17, because like, okay, if I can draft a little later and that really increases my odds of making the playoffs, awesome. But I still think you want to be building teams that are are meant to take down week 17, right? So it's kind of... Yeah, this, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, they, so, it's very clear that you can optimize for the playoffs and that that optimization has merit yeah well is there anything else oh sorry go ahead pat well i mean i think we've done about an hour and 20 minutes of lead now and people understand what the article is so tell tell us why people are spending too much capital at running back um i you know i I don't know i two things i'd say one like i already kind of said when you chop up just one year data it's different like the hyper fragile teams did kind of good the previous two years but I mean, we already hit on it, but like the closing line value that you get, which is the same. The th- reason you get closing line value in the off season is just the same theory of why you play zero RB throughout the regular season too, which is that like you can potentially get these. It's, it's the anti-fragile. Like you can get these big, huge boosts in value. And we saw that happen last year. I think people are over investing in running back to begin with, like even if running back and wide receiver were equal. But um, yeah, some of it's like uncertain. I looked into it by time of year though, because one of my theories was like, okay, like earlier in the year, like later in the year, closer to the season, the hyper fragile teams probably did better. And like spending more capital at running back probably did better closer to the season. This makes sense because like early in the season, there's volatility and you get a ton of closing line, but you can get a ton of closing line values. So it makes more sense to go zero RB earlier. But like, honestly, the data did not, show that at all uh the teams that were really? drafted in september actually performed relatively worse than the teams drafted in july in terms of capital spent hmm. at running wait back. what do you mean the teams so that dra- let me so, so the high the, the running backs that spent the teams that spent early picks on running backs in september did worse than the teams drafted in july yeah so the teams that's huh. yeah so in July, just for example, if you took five running backs on your roster and you were in the fourth out of five buckets in spending at running back, your advance rate in July was 18.3%. Your advance rate in July or in September was 19.9%. Uh, if you took four running backs only and were in the second bucket. So seconds spending, more spent. Seconds more spent, so it's like second uh-huh. highest okay. out of five buckets. So it's like the 20th to 40th percentile, top 20th to 40th percentile of RB spending. Your advance rate in July was 16.1%, and in September it was 13.4%. Huh. So it was worse in September. So that didn't really hold true that it was That's a time of year thing. Um, Pete, Sean's always said he likes drafting in September better than July. I, I never understood why. But yeah. now maybe, the, yeah. But yeah, I did look at, if you look at like the ratio of wide receiver spending to running back spending too, the larger the ratio in favor of wide receiver, the better the advance rates were. So even as a ratio. Um, so again, it's just one season of data, but yeah, running back uh, did not did not serve well last year. And again, Whenever you're building a team like Pat, like your team comes together so well. And I think like, that's a good reminder that like, this doesn't mean you should just go out and 
build like only wide receiver. What, what bucket teams, was my team in? Your bucket was in bucket three. You had five running backs total, and you were in the third bucket of running back spending. And I went, I went running back, running back, and was still not in one of the top two buckets. So it is, it's not like you don't, you can't draft running backs early. It's just keep in mind. Yeah. So you were, yeah, you had Eckler at seven, Barkley at eighteen, Mondre at one fourteen, Mostert at one eighty six, and Michelle at one ninety nine. Like, there's just examples. Like, like there's a seven RB team, like. These seven RB teams that didn't spend a lot at running back did well, but like there's one that has CMC on it. That's like seven RBs in bucket four. Like it's hard to spend the second overall pick on CMC and to draft six other running backs and be in bucket four, right? That means you're not spending a right. lot, but like, so you can still take running backs early. That was CMC at two, Kenneth Walker, 95, Kareem hmm. Hunt, 98, huh. Henderson, 122, Algier 146, Mostert 191, and Jeff Wilson 215. That's like a quintessential anchor RB build when you get like a top that, two or three. You're pushing back. it though. I, I mean, I like but, it as an anchor RB build, but that's a you pushed it. There's Not also there's this seven running back yeah, team I that because I gave examples so people could kind of like visualize, but like there's a seven running back team that was bucket five, so the lowest amount of running back spending. That took Brees Hall at 54 and ETN at 67. So they got huge closing line value uh -huh. on those two guys. But like you can you can still get running backs. That just goes to show you like how much people are spending for that to be like the lowest 20th percentile. Like other people are spending, right? Like people are just spending, you know, too much. Like um, one of the five RB teams that's in bucket one of spending is like Mixon at 13, Zeke at 36. Dylan at 60, Edmonds at 85, Herbert at 156. So you do kind of have to be pretty binary. Like you're either waiting on running back and taking some in this, like you take a bunch in the 60s or you're taking one or two early and then waiting a, a really long time. Yeah. The, because what did you, sorry, go back to that CMC one. What was the next pick he took a running back at? Nine, Kenneth Walker at 95. Yeah. He took I was Walker just... and Hunt. So this is King's team that won first place. I mean, he took Sanders at 87, and then he was in that same pocket with his zero RB picks, Walker 111, White 130, Pierce 135. Um, so I, I don't feel like that anchor RB build was pushing it that much, right? Well, this, this no, I guess it was this, this is really low RB spending, the yeah. this team. I mean, this is you know, on this is for sure a bucket five team with only six RBs. Yeah, but it also um, helps. I mean, it helps though when you get seventy-five spots of ADP value on, on Damian Pierce. Yeah. yeah, it does help. I also think like this is where the breakdown occurs with like we talk about things like you know how many overall running back picks you spent. You know, did you spend six or seven? Did you spend you know five or eight? Whatever at wide receiver, it's like how much capital did you spend? You know, it's like we should almost like do the cutoff after like round 14 or something and like not even talk about what happened after that, because like those are essentially like one dollar auction picks at that point or two dollars at most. So like this, this like concept that you have here of, you know, the bucketing of the capital spent. I wish there was a way to do this on the fly to like figure out how much <laughs> we'd spend at the at the running back position. I mean, I guess like Spike Week work on it. But, yeah, you know, there's like got to be. Because that's that's really the conversation that we need to be having is how much capital have you spent? I want running back, running back, and I'm in the third bucket. 
You know, you go CMC two, you're in, what was he in the fourth or fifth bucket? Like, fourth bucket. Yeah. Fourth and bucket. he drafted seven total. So like, yeah, if you're drafting running backs, it obviously like you're, you're spending more right. capital. Just that's the um, thing where if you told me the, the headline guy took CMC number two drafted seven running backs, I'd be like, what a donkey. Yeah. He's in bucket four. He played it. He played it smart. Right. So there's, right. there's a lot of different ways to do this. Yeah. And yeah. the seven running back teams, as a whole did really bad, but the ones that managed to curtail their spending did, uh, did really well. And it was kind of interesting too, that like when you looked at total running backs rostered people who rostered three running backs, they under utilize capital at running back, like their average okay. running back draft. This, these numbers won't mean anything to you other than that. They're different from each other, but the average running back capital spent, if you only drafted three was two thirty-eight. If you drafted seven or if you drafted eight running backs, the average capital spent was like three Oh nine, but like four through seven, the field was kind of sharp. Like it's like two seventy, like across the board. So the field did overall kind of like add, make, mental adjustments for draft capital spent in the aggregate. But yeah, when you break it down by both the bucket and the number of running backs rostered, you definitely see where more running backs and less capital, you know, basically zero RB did really well. I'm careful to like not say zero RB too much though, because as we've seen, like please don't some of, some of these have like early running backs in them, right? Like right. it's well, you know, People got mad about the modified zero running back thing, but I think this is what we were trying to say, right? Don't spend a ton of fucking draft capital at running back. Is it? Yeah. Okay, Leody, here's one for you. Uh, emerging from this data deep dive, how do you handle, in knowing some of these things, how do you handle a wide receiver avalanche? How do you handle a ship chasing piss room where the best value at every pick is by far running back? So. I've thought about this a lot because he, he's been waiting to tell me how to win these drafts that I have to stream, buddy. Asking for well, a friend. <laughs> it's hard, right? Because you can, as we've seen, you can only spend so much capital at running back. So like right. there's a, there's every pick you take at running backs, a lot of opportunity cost because that means you can't take another running back with another pick because you just, you just run, you, you just start hitting the ceiling of capital that you should spend at the position. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the best way to do it is it kind of depends like when you eye the avalanche. I mean, for you, you kind of know it's, it's coming from like pick one. Pete's always got the best sense of the avalanche. I will, I, sometimes I'm like, we could take a running back. Pete's like, no, we cannot. I just love that. I have seriously think, saying things like it's, <laughs> it depends on when you first catch wind of an avalanche. <laughs> well, it, but it is really interesting. Cause like, if you get a super running back heavy room, you can just like, dominate that room right like it's yeah. very easy you get a super wide receiver heavy room whether it's right or wrong it's it's still difficult to navigate right well this like, is actually why i think it's maybe right is that like you as a group it's like it's harder to be beaten like if everyone's taking the wide receiver everyone's th that's everyone's what matters too. It depends how many if like a few people are taking wide receivers way too early. I think it's still like kind of easy to navigate. Those people are vulnerable. Those people are vulnerable. But if everyone's snapping up the wide receivers, the people who don't follow suit end up being the vulnerable ones. Yeah, I think like, I mean, it's it's such a vague answer, but it's like I think you want to get one or two running back values in the first ten rounds that like yep. people yep. are refusing to take that are really good. Mm -hmm. 
and you're going to spend less on wide receiver than the group, but like you're still able to get to where you need to get. And then, yeah, well, you can like also like reconfigure <laughs> the draft capital spent to like ADP mm-hmm. <laughs> to like ADP capital spent, right? Which is kind of what you would have to do at wide receiver to know if you spent enough at wide receiver because the draft capital would tell you you've spent them enough, but like the ADP capital would obviously be way lower because all the wide receivers are getting pushed up the board. Right, right, right. So it's like a little bit weird, but no, those rooms are tough because like you you go running back running back because it's a great value then it's like you're taking really shitty wide receivers in round eight and you're passing on really good running back values in round eight because you literally cannot take a running back anymore so um yeah this the zig the zag while everyone zigs is like not super straightforward no it's it's take a couple detours while everyone is zigging (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, because Otherwise. it does become it becomes tough in in a room where wide receivers are going off the board quickly, especially if people are building with the idea that they don't want to spend a ton of draft capital at the running back, which is what these rooms are doing. They're not they're not looking to spend a ton of draft capital at the running back. Then what ends up happening as a natural result of that is that there are just it, it, it's impossible that there won't be running back values later in the draft. Right, because everyone's yeah. scooping up wide receivers and they're avoiding running backs. So if you grab running backs early, and you're then you're locked out of those running back values late, the people that are scooping those running back values have better wide receivers than you. So and they're it, still it, getting really running backs. Yeah. yeah, they're still yeah. getting running back value. So they're they've found a way to get better value than you at both yeah. positions. That's where some of them, like I think, will get. You just hope some of those teams get screwed, right? And like you make it hard on them by like. Yeah. If you're the first at like two running back values in like the first eight rounds or something, like you're probably still going to be okay. There's some delicacy with timing where like understanding how far you can push it, right? Like if it's crazy wide receiver heavy, you might be able to push it pretty far, but like. Right. But if Josh Jacobs is there, you got to take. <laughs> I mean, yeah. All right, Leone, who closes out? Who's, who's this year's Josh Jacobs? Yeah. You tell know, us who well. yeah. we're jumping the shark with this year. Who is. I thought it was mixing, but now the off the field yeah. stuff yeah. is like. I like that call, for, and then it seemed to have changed. Yeah, yeah. It changed. Yeah. The, Could it be uh, Najee? Kyle Dvorak was yelling at me about my uh, these. Uh, these ranks haven't launched yet, but my Najee rank uh, tilted. It him. could it was be. Pretty low. I could. I mean, I could see it. I want to get past the NFL draft with Najee, but so do I. Um, That's part of the reason I have him low to begin with. Yeah. Oh, but one I last thing on the like, wide receiver stuff is like. I do think like people are probably taking too many wide receivers in the wide receiver avalanche room. Like if you're taking oh, wide too many overall. Yeah. Like if you're taking wide receivers early, you should probably only be taking like seven or eight. If you're like really taking them early. Yeah. Or at least that's how it worked out last year, but that's, that just pivots off running back. Right. Like yeah, the, the teams with lots of running backs that didn't spend a lot on running backs did well. So like, what do you think about receiver? the idea of, trying to advance as many players to week 15, 16, 17 as possible as it, as it comes to, you know, to uh, how many wide receivers and running backs we have. Cause one thing that comes to mind is like, if I can, if I go uh, zero running back and I only need five running backs to get there, I'd rather spend my 17th and 18th round picks again on wide receivers, rookie wide receivers, perhaps maybe not in this year's class, but just l- let's say generally, to like 
make sure that I'm maximizing my chances of actually hitting on guys who are going to be active in those final weeks. Uh, that's where it's tough. Where like, and Pete, we talked about when we, you know, streamed on his channel the other night, you do get a better chance at like a unique running back. Who's like projected as an RB one for the week, the more kind of flyers mm. that you take just because they're easily dismissible, like not needing them on a week, but then they could become super important with the right injury. So, but they're also more likely to be dead roster spots as well. Um, yeah, right. It's yeah, they are. That's where I want to like, again, like kind of parse out the live spots to like end a draft versus early in the draft yeah, to yeah, like kind of yeah. tease out the impact. But I think, um, so looking at the early ADP, like we're way ahead of positional ADP on Swift. Um, okay. I like I'm, Swift. I'm, I'm pretty, I mean, I, I don't know if that's a fair Jacobs comp, but. It's um, not it a fair Jacobs eight, comp because they not. hate his guts. <laughs> They're never going to give him an 80% snap share in his whole well, life. Well, guess who played in the Hall of Fame game and everybody on Twitter said they must really hate Josh Jacobs. They must just hate him so much True. if he played in the Hall of Fame game. I, I wish you were right about Swift on that respect. So, I think you could still smash ADP. I'm not saying that. My, my thought with Swift is I think people are undervaluing like if he just gets like six targets and like six carries a game mm-hmm. that like he – he like won DFS tournaments doing that as shitty of a workload as it is like the high value touches are so important. And then like, just like, I mean, we all think David Montgomery is not good. Other players get hurt. If Swift's super explosive, you know, you got a, you know, different running back coach. Like, I don't know. I feel like the, I feel like his shitty role is already accounted for. And then it's, it's, so it's just like all yeah. upside. Brett's co- it- compared him to Eckler. And I think that's, that's a really fun comp. Yeah, it would it'd be very fun comp. I and the reason I don't think it can, I think it Swift is a good one from an ADP perspective, but it's not good in that Josh Jacobs made us all feel so disgusting when we drafted okay, him. I, we all still have an affinity. The one in the chat that is a good one is Dalvin Cook. That feels he's going in around the same. What about range. Aaron Jones? I, what about Aaron Jones? I was gonna Aaron say, Cam, I was gonna say, uh, Cam Akers, I think, is. I think it's Cam Akers. I never feel gross when I select Aaron Jones. I basically always pass on Dalvin Cook. Do you feel do you feel gross taking Cam Akers? I've taken him. I have like zero Dalvin Cook. I have like probably I'm even with the field on Akers and Aaron Jones. Yeah. I I mean we we are really low on Dalvin. We think there's like a really good chance that he gets gets cut. Um yeah. If he's in Minnesota right now, the way his ADP's falling, if he stays, it's gonna be he's going to be fine where he is. It's going to be pretty good, but yeah, uh, we kind of think he's gone, you know, with the money that Madison got and everything, but I think acres is a good one. one. Acres is a good one. They cannot draft another running back. Like they just don't have the resources to tell the Rams what to do. (laughs) And they will do whatever they fucking want. The running back room. So (laughs) bad. We kind of saw him. We've seen him multiple times over multiple seasons, get like this huge workload, whether he should or not. I don't really care, which was kind of the thing with Jacobs. Like, and like, he's, he's someone that like, isn't terrible. Right. Like that's the thing with Jacobs. Like he was a former first round pick, like acres. I don't remember where he went exactly, but like, he was some, yeah, he was a relatively early pick and someone that like, we all liked at one point in time. Um, Well, he looked great before he tore his Achilles. And that's the other thing is he's got another year off the, off the Achilles injury. Yeah, look pretty good down the stretch. I, I think that's a good one. I I recently had a 
cup team that I took acres on where I was like, I've already made a bet on the Rams. So I might as well just take them. Yeah. yeah. Kamara seems like he's going really late. I mean, I know a lot of that is he's going to get suspended. We don't know for how long. Um, it still yeah, seems he, like it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The other always, guy. Oh, go ahead. Go, no, good. I was going to say the other guy that I literally have not clicked at all is James Conner. And he's, a I've guy clicked who, him. Like, I've clicked you him. have you've clicked. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Because I, look, the, the Cardinals are going to be a disgusting team. Yeah. They're going to have some like David Blau or Colt McCoy, whenever he's healthy type quarterback back there. And they're going to just be checking down. I mean, checking down to James Conner and he's going to be racking up a bunch of bullshit and he's like a 10th round pick. I yeah. often, I often I end up in a spot where I'm like, dude, I could really use some nasty ass gross week from Jane, from James Conner to help get me through. And, uh, Jamal Williams goes in the same reins. I mean, Connor's a better pick than Jamal Williams. You know, Connor could be doing this at the end of the season too. Yeah, I, I, I get. I mean, I think the Connor thing makes sense. Like, I think we could get one more year of him just getting a bullshit volume, and yeah. that's why I think he might be a really good candidate for the the Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I think he's a great candidate. I mean, it's, he it's was, na- and it's yeah. nasty, man. It, whenever I take, yeah, him, oh, I've, I've, I will tell you. I've taken him and several times after taking him, not once, several times I've like Googled him to make sure he's still healthy. Like (laughs) I've gone to Rotor World and read blurbs. Like I'm like, I felt so gross. Like, why is he here? I I think that's, that's the best name we've heard so far. If these depth charts didn't change going into the season. Oh God, I'm going to get flamed for this one. I'm sure. But I, I would take Connor over Rashad Penny. If these depth charts I don't so think you just that's hate a, it, fun, huh? You just hate you just their hate ADPs it. aren't even that different right now, though, Leone. No, they're not. Connor's yeah. one spot behind Penny, but I'm assuming anyone that watches this show thinks that's that correct. that's wrong. Well, would would prefer Penny? Yeah, they prefer. Yeah. Lose in the chat for Leone is, for such controversial thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've actually struggled with Penny, and partly because I do, and not not that this is some humble brag, but I was hammering him before free agency and so i've just had sticker shock of like i haven't taken him once yeah, yeah, yeah. or maybe once or oh twice really I, i'm still taking him prices. yeah i'm still taking him it doesn't feel like that you know if he was a six round pick i probably would stop taking but you know it's it's yeah. an appointment draft where there's not really that much left yeah actually i don't um, even know if i should say if the de- like i like does penny have more depth chart risk than connor like yes i mean penny penny has no like money on his contract penny could be this year's Rojo, unfortunately, where he just like isn't a part of the team's plans. Like it, it right? His There's contract a lot was of ways it goes wrong for Penny. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways. I mean, one of them is that they just draft anybody in a deep yeah. class. Like they're talking. The about, upside like, is still sick. I mean, but the upside's yeah. sick. Yeah, but I mean, there's like rumors of Gibbs and stuff. I mean, that would be pretty disastrous. You know. Where's uh? At what point would you guys take Zeke in a draft? You know, I'm taking Fournette a fair amount, and if Zeke was going where Fournette was, I would I would take Zeke there. But Zeke goes like substantially ahead Earlier, of Fournette, yeah. and I just I'm like, why? Like Fournette is terrible, but he catches passes, and Zeke doesn't right. even do that. So I get I get also terrible, but catches passes like 25 picks later. Fuck yeah, yeah. Fournette Fournette's a better bet than than Zeke probably straight up, and then yeah. Especially. And you get the ADP value to be, and then the other thing is that Zeke goes ahead of 
Tank Bigsby and Kendra Miller, who I think are really good rookie bets. So every time I see Zeke, it's literally like a reminder to like take a running back once Zeke goes. I I, I don't understand why Zeke's price where he is. He, he's he's honestly like two rounds too pricey to me. Yeah. All right. I, I think I just physically have to end the show once we're talking about <laughs> Zeke and Leonard Fournette. Like I, I just I just want to throw up in my mouth. Uh, yeah, I, I would have thought that we would have fully have alienated everyone, but I guess we all are reaching. That's why you had me on the show to ruffle yeah. some feathers. So you said next part of the article series is coming out uh Friday. Yeah, looking at the positional allocation. And you know, it's hard because like man, I do this analysis and it's like you, there's so many ways you could chop it up and like different things I would like to look at, but I think it gives a good like macro view and the ship chasers will be happy with the, the RB slander that occurs. I'm yeah. sure they will. Yeah. We do. We, we're all, we're all <laughs> we, very happy. About we, that. we do. We do enjoy an extra helping of RB slander. It hasn't, it hasn't <laughs> uh, gotten old yet. Pat, Pat able to bit. like win two million with two running backs and then immediately bucket three, Pete. Running backs bucket again. three, baby. <laughs> bucket three. The, uh, the the ADP. What I've been doing tweet threads when I I first do them. Oh, we've and then, seen like, you did the article and <laughs> the ADP value one that wasn't too sexy, but I'm I'm already so confident that this first tweet, like whatever I do for the running back one, is. It's just gonna get auto retweeted by like like Drico and what and what's Pine your hook? Ford, you what's guys. your hook? I don't even know yet. It'll just be something about not investing in the running back. <laughs> yeah, it'll do well. It'll no, do well. you yeah, you, you need right. to go more incendiary. Uh, this one's gonna upset all the little running back yeah. piggies. In the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. You'll well, Leone. Let's workshop the tweet for Max. Uh, Tillage. Okay, we'll work- yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Pat, you also, I I should make sure, I know a lot of people have already checked it out, but you had a cool, uh, blog post on legendary upside about how you were thinking about, uh, stacking and when it's okay, if you get snapped stacked on a QB, because it's going to point you toward natural diversification and even some stacks without the QB that are still very viable. Yeah. I mean, it was just inspired by the article that we were talking about in this episode where it's like, um, you know, the importance of correlation and the importance of ADP value and everything. And I was making the point that like, you'll get a guy in your draft and it's like, you've got, you've got chase and someone else has Higgins. And then he comes along right before you, he grabs Burrow and he's like, ha, couldn't stack up your guy. Could you? It's like, yeah. well, you know what, dude, you're screwed. I'm not screwed. I can actually draft Tyler Boyd later. I can draft Irv Smith later. And I can build this Cincinnati stack that has the potential to go off and give me the most important spike weeks, which are your skill position spike weeks. And then you can build with the later picks in your draft. You can build out a couple other quarterback stacks and you set yourself up for a absolutely massive week 17 where Cincinnati has a huge game. You have three pieces or two pieces and a bring back. And then your quarterback also has a big game and you have a bring back on that. That's how you take down a field that's very likely to be bigger than 470, right? We're talking about Best Ball Mania 4 now. It was 470 last year. We need to be able to, we need to be thinking about how are you taking out an even bigger field than that? And it's not with an unstacked early quarterback. You know, and I think some people are are playing safe with this stuff where they're like, you know, I, I'm going to get this guy and I, I know I have my points now. And if they don't get their quarterback, then it's like, oh, my team's ruined. Your team's not ruined. You've actually had a chance now to build in an additional stack 
and actually add upside to your team. So don't get stressed if someone snipes your quarterback. Figure out how to continue building around what you were already going to build around and then add on an additional stack, which gives you even more upside and even more correlation. Awesome. Uh, if you kept going, I was going to really quickly uh, Photoshop uh, the Leone photo and have um, uh, above Herzig's head wide receiver drafters and above Leone's head uh, running back drafters. If someone wants to make that meme, <laughs> the, the Lodi, Leone could tweet that out. Um, all right. I appreciate you guys all in the chat. Appreciate Leone giving us so much of his time. Uh, also, Gretch was just feeling a little under the weather tonight, but he will be back in the saddle with us hopefully next week as we continue to roll on like sickos talking about best ball in April. And uh, yeah, you can keep an eye out hopefully in the next week or two, I'm going to have uh, my video coming out. Uh, I think it's going to be called the anatomy of a, a million. I haven't fleshed out the title yet, something like that, but we're looking at millionaire winning lineups here uh, with Pat and Kings that won first place in the regular season. And I think, um, you guys will enjoy that as well. Uh, you guys are also always welcome to join us in the Ship Chasing Discord. You become a YouTube member. It unlocks that. Always lots of good conversation in there. And then, of course, uh, ADP Chasing every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. The gang will be back this week to talk about, I believe, right, Izzy? Izzy just screaming up draft boards right so, now, Pat? So let me tease. So I just had a, yeah. a two, it's a two hour podcast because I couldn't end it. I kept trying to end it and then asking Sean more questions, but I had Sean Siegel on legendary nice. upside. Izzy Abanacanda is his running back three. Ooh, okay. All right. That's spicy. It's a good pot. So it, it, I, I mean, so it's Bijan Gibbs and then Izzy for him. Yeah. Yeah, and right. he has there's a he, the quarterbacks are not he has the, his first quarterback hits at 104 in his super flex rankings. He's, wow, uh, he's living up to his contrarian nature, Sean. C. And, and I know he's honestly, super high on JSN too. He's super right? high on JSN. Yeah, honestly, I don't think I've even said his most contrarian take, which uh, involves a wide receiver. I just know that he's made me feel a little bit better about the 106 in some drafts because he likes Gibbs. Like I was getting some Gibbs fud, and and he. He's I think Gibbs is good. underrated in Dynasty. I think the best ball takes on him are pretty good. Like I, I'm, I'm not that bullish on him. Is God, you win two million dollars? It's like you don't even care about Dynasty anymore. Just got to. <laughs> <best ball pace>. What <laughs> happened? He's a good to pick you? in Dynasty. That's what I'm saying. Wow. Yeah. Just play As the you long segue game. away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's well, true. I, us... I don't think I've ever paid less attention to my Dynasty leagues ever. <laughs> I'm sure Davis will start peppering you uh, with, yeah. with trade offers here soon enough, and you'll remember. All right, I'm landing the plane. Need to go do some mulch. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>